When I was a young man, I was given a book, and that book was called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And the book was given to me so that I would have an idea of how I should relate to money, what I should do with money. The premise of the book was that uh, the author, Robert, had uh, two dad-like figures, two father figures in his life. The one was a rich man and the other was a poor man. And uh, he realized at an early age that if he wanted to have money when he was older, he would need to relate to money uh, like his rich dad rather than like his poor dad. And so there are principles in there throughout the book as he goes through about uh, these are the ways that rich people relate to their money and these are ways that poor people relate to their money. And the idea behind the book is to help you, should you desire to become a rich person, to think and act like a rich person so that you also could be rich. Because if you don't think and act like a rich person, you wouldn't be able to become rich. Well, as we have been going through the book of James, James has talked in a little bit different terms about rich and poor. His focus has been more, do you have an attitude like a rich person, or do you have an attitude like a poor person? How do you relate to your money? Do you relate as a rich person or as a poor person? And how do you relate to other people, and how do you relate to God? Do you relate as a rich person or as a poor person? And that's what we're going to see today in James chapter 5. But actually, he has spent quite a lot of time talking about money or rich and poor uh, throughout the book of James already. And so in case you have forgotten some of those things or uh, you were not uh, part of this series as we were going through the book of James, I just want to review for you uh, some of the things that James has already said about this. Because he started very early in the book of James, in James chapter 1, verse 9, he says this. He says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. He has an attitude of, of uh, humility, right? That, that whether you are poor or rich in this world with material possessions, if you are poor, you should boast in your exaltation in Christ. And if you are rich in material uh, wealth in this world, you should boast in your humiliation with Christ. It's your attitude toward the money. He goes on in verse 26 of chapter 1, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What are you doing with your wealth? Are you using it to uh, visit and be with, to identify with, be compassionate toward those who are in need, the orphans and the, the widows, those who are particularly needy in this world? Are you using it for those ends? And keeping yourself unstained from the attitudes and the, uh, the thought processes of the people of this world. He goes on again, James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, 
And you will pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones that oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He, he says, don't, in the way that you think about rich people and poor people who come into the assembly of believers, don't give preference to those who are rich. Don't give preference to those who are rich before the Lord of glory. The, the worldly wealth that they have is not important. God has chosen those who are poor in this world to exalt them and make them rich, spiritually speaking. Do not judge them and, and treat them differently. He goes on in chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now he's comparing the way that we act with the things that we say we believe. In fact, he says, if you're not taking care of those people that you have the ability to help, but rather just say, oh, be warm and filled, and you're withholding from them, what good is that? What good is your faith in that moment if it's not acting, if it's not doing anything? In fact, James keeps going back and forth between these two things, our attitude toward our money and how we relate, and then our attitude toward others, and what are we doing with the resources that, he has, that God has given to us for the good of those who need it? Who then, he says, is wise in James chapter 3, verse 13? Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. If we have this selfish ambition, if we are looking toward others as far as uh, what can we get from them, or how can we promote ourselves, how can we get what we want, if we are self-indulgent in these things, it leads to all kinds of problems. This is not spiritual wisdom, but this is earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Rather than relating to people in the way that God has intended for us to relate to them, to uh, encourage them, to help them, to build them up in Christ, to share so that there are no needs within the, the body of Christ, Instead of doing that, there will be all kinds of disorder and vile practices. In fact, in James chapter 4 at the beginning in verse 1, he says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Don't you know that when you have these selfish ambitions, you make yourself a friend of the world and an enemy of God? Why do you think you don't have the things that you want? It's because you're not asking for those things. The Lord who provides could provide them for you, but you don't have them because you don't ask. Instead, you, you uh, jealously desire to take and have it for your own. He says, but you don't ask for it. And if you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives. You ask with selfish motives that it might uh, fulfill you, that you might be satisfied, that your desires might be met. You ask with wrong motives. Don't be a friend of the world, because a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And then in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. We, we shouldn't boast in our riches and the things that we have in what we think we might do in the future. But rather, we ought to trust the Lord and humble ourselves before him. And that brings us now to chapter 5 where James has reserved some of his harshest words yet for those who have an attitude of richness. This is what he says. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. He begins chapter 5 with a, come now, you rich. Come now, come, come, come now. Here's what you need to do. You who have an attitude of richness, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. When we put our hope and our trust in the things that we have, in the material possessions that we have, we will discover that they do not meet our needs. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. It's, have you ever had something that you stored improperly? Some kind of a possession? Perhaps you had a, a tent that you went camping with it, you brought it home, it was still a little bit damp and you rolled it up and you forgot about it. So instead of opening it up and cleaning it out and letting it dry out, you just rolled it up and put it away. And then the next time you took it out, you discovered that black mold on the inside. Maybe you had a, a pan and that metal pan was a, a, a good, good pan, but then you, you used it, you washed it, you, it was wet. You didn't get it all the way dry, you put it away, and then you pulled it back out and you discovered the rust as the two pans had been on top of one another and the moisture had been in between and so then it rusted in between. Maybe something else that you haven't cleaned properly, haven't taken care of properly, and haven't stored properly. Happens all the time in my house. We have a lot of people in my house and not everything gets put away every time when it's supposed to. And in fact, there can at times get to be so much stuff on the floor that as you're trying to pick your way through or as you're walking with something in your hands, you don't notice the things on the floor and you hear a crunch beneath your feet. And you just think to yourself, oh, what was that crunch? What just broke? Was it a disposable pen? Was it a favored toy? A valuable possession? What was it that just crunched beneath my feet? Because we didn't take care of it properly. It wasn't stored properly. This is the risk with all kinds of material wealth. The risk is that it will be rotted. Your, your, your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. All of these things that we invest in, that at the time seemed to be this very important thing that we should have, then later fails. I'm always surprised about this with technology. You buy the thing, you spend way too much money on the thing, whether it's a phone or a computer or a tablet or a music listening device, or whatever it is, and it seems like, wow, this is a really great thing, and then three years later, the thing barely works. If you can still find it. The batteries run out, you have to keep it plugged in all the time because it just doesn't keep a charge anymore. It's corrupting, it's falling apart. You've used the duct tape, you've used the electrical tape, you're just trying to get this thing to limp along a little bit longer before you buy another one. These things that we invest in and then we find they become liabilities because they just fall apart on us and lose their value and become worthless. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. What is your attitude toward stuff? Is this stuff that you want? Is this stuff that you're treasuring? Best case scenario, you get it, you keep, take really good care of it, and it lasts for a long time. Maybe you have something that's very valuable to you, and so you've protected it in a case or in a safe or something so that it's very safe. 
And what are you using it for? What good is it? It's there, it's protected, it's going to last a long time, it's going to retain its value. And that's the best we can hope for. When we put our hope and our uh, trust into riches, when we have an attitude of a rich person, we are accumulating things that are going to fall apart and lose their value. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Those things that we have stored up as they corrode and fall apart are evidence against us that this is the thing that we had valued and put our, uh, our uh, satisfaction in. We spent our resources, we spent our time and our energy to get and maintain this thing. And when it falls apart, we recognize ah, that was a futile thing to find satisfaction and hope in. To find our joy in that thing, that was futile. Because it falls apart. How much do we want those things? Do we see those people that have the things and then we want them also? The cars, the, the technology, the nice clothes, all of these things that we think, ooh, if I had that, I would really find joy in that. But that joy is very fleeting. And as those things get ruined and we get frustrated, have you ever had that happen? You got the nice clothes and then they went through the wash with somebody's red garment and now they aren't nice anymore? Sometimes they spin in the dryer and it gets caught in the lint trap somehow, I don't know how, and then it twists up and it ruins the garment. You're cooking or eating and the sauce splatters on your clothes, and you're so frustrated because now these clothes are ruined. And when something that we have becomes ruined and worthless, it highlights for us our attitude toward that thing. How much were we hoping for and finding joy and satisfaction in that thing? If our reaction is overly strong, the frustration, the anger, the disappointment is overly strong. It highlights for us that our attitude was wrong toward that thing. It speaks out against us as evidenced against us and will eat our flesh like fire, it says. It eats us up as those things fall apart. When your savings are gone, it ruins you. The loss of the resources is evidence that we stored up our treasures in the wrong place. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. James re references the Sermon on the Mount a lot, and he seems to re reference this from chapter 6, verse 19, where Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither, neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, Jesus said, there your heart will be also. He was using these same ideas of the wealth that we have, the material possessions that we have, corrupting and losing their value over time. 
and says, if your heart is there, if, you're, if, if uh, you invest there, that's where your heart is going to be. That's where your treasure is. And so that's where your heart is going to be. Where is your heart? Where is your value? What do you desire? Because James says, in this accusatory way, you have laid up your treasure in the last days. You have laid up your treasure in the last days. Where have you laid it up? In the place where the gold and the silver are corrupted. In the place where the garments are are moth-eaten and destroyed. You have laid up your treasure in the wrong place. Your heart is in the wrong place because you've laid up your treasure in the wrong place. And not only have you done that, but you've done it in the last days. You're running out of time. The return of Jesus is imminent. And when Jesus returns, we're going to have a great day of judgment and everything that is temporary is going to be burned up and fade. And all that will be left will be eternal. And we will be with Jesus forever. So where are you investing in your treasures? Where are you putting those things? He says, you've been laying them up in these last days when we're running out of time. Jesus could return at any moment and you're storing it up in things that are going to be corrupted and things that are going to be burned up in the final judgment. Why would you do that? When, when we take kids uh, to a family entertainment center, you, you will buy them the tokens, right? Take a $20 bill, you hand it over, you get the tokens, you give the kid the tokens, and you say, okay, have a good time. And the kid takes the tokens and sticks them in their pockets. Because these tokens are a treasured possession. And they spend all their time running around seeing how everybody else is spending their tokens. And trying to bum tokens off of all of their friends so that they can stick them in their pockets. And you come along and you say, "Uh, we're going to be going in about an hour. Oh, great! You know how you gave me those tokens? Well, now I've got this many tokens. What are you doing? We're going to go home in an hour. You have an hour to finish spending these tokens. Okay, and they spend the rest of the time running around searching underneath uh, uh, the little games and the the hopper machine and the air hockey and all of those things. They're looking to see if they can find any more tokens. What are you doing? Why would you do that? Do you realize that when you go home, those tokens are not going to be worth anything? I spent $20 on tokens for you. I don't care what you use them on. Go play air hockey. Do the hopper machine. Do the 3D little pretend roller coaster thing. I don't care. Use them up. Because when we go home, they're just going to be little plastic tokens that can't do anything. They're not worth anything. And we judge the child for this kind of attitude toward these tokens that have no value once we get home. And yet... We have the same attitudes toward our earthly possessions, toward our money. We have those same attitudes. We're trying to store them up. We're trying to collect more, get more of it. And James is saying, it's the last days. 
These are the last days. Jesus is coming at any time. What good is it going to do you to have all of this stuff stored up? When you get home to heaven, it's not going to be worth anything. It will be of no value at all. Use them. Use these treasures. And then it gets worse. Not only do those who are rich in their attitude save up these pathetic earthly tokens without using them, but then they cheat and take advantage of others so that they can get more. Verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Are you withholding money that you owe? I don't remember all of the things from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I I don't really, it's not my intent to critique that book this morning, but one of the things I do remember is that he said you ought to pay yourself first. He said pay yourself first. Make sure that you pay yourself first because everybody else is going to uh, complain more than you will if you don't pay them. And so you wait to pay the other people, and then when they complain a lot, then you can pay them. But make sure you pay yourself first. The the idea being that you could use those resources to make more resources, and eventually you will pay them. But not necessarily right away. That's the idea here. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. Maybe the landowner uh, asked them to mow the fields and then said, I'll pay you guys tomorrow. These are day laborers. They, they, They probably need that money now so that they can eat today and tomorrow, so that they can have clothes today and tomorrow. They need this money right now. But the rich landowner decided, well, I'm going to hold it back for a little while. Oh, I I will pay you eventually. Or maybe he's just holding it back and going, you know, I didn't really like the work you did, so I'm not going to pay you. In some way, he is defrauding them. He is withholding what he owes them rather than giving it to them. Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount as he was telling us how we should pray. One of the things he said is we should Pray that God would give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. I think we need not be too quick to merely look at this in terms of sin and say that we will forgive those who have sinned against us so that our Heavenly Father will forgive us of our sins, but also recognize the justice that God demands. That we would forgive those who are indebted to us. And if we are to forgive those who are indebted to us, how much more to pay off our own debts and not be indebted to others? Are you withholding from someone? 
Are you withholding payment for goods that you have already received? Are you withholding payment for uh, services already rendered? Are you withholding payment for taxes that are due or bills that are due? Utilities that you have used? Doctor's bills? Are, are you withholding from paying these things off when you have the ability to take care of these debts? Don't, don't stay in debt. Pay them off. We ought to be uh, forgiving the debts of others, and we ought to be helping those who are in need, not withholding from them, right? He's, he, didn't he say... That even to uh, say, be warm and be filled, without giving when you have the ability to do it, is an issue. Are you withholding? Are you withholding from those that you owe to or from those that you could help but are choosing not to? Why are you doing that? Do you not know that your debt cries out against you? and reaches the ears of the Lord, these unpaid debts cry out. If we do not forgive those who owe us, the Lord will not forgive us our debts either. To, to the best of our ability, as long as it depends on us, we should be square with people. And not be rich in our mindset and withhold and cheat and defraud, but rather give to the people that we owe. Otherwise, we have this mindset. Verse 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You have lived on the earth, verse 5, in luxury and in self-indulgence. Your attitude toward these things is, what can it do for me? How can I be satisfied in the things? Do I have enough wealth saved up that I can be satisfied? Do I have enough things that I can be satisfied? If we are pursuing those things, if we are looking for those things, we are fattening ourselves up, he says, as in the day of slaughter. The judgment is coming. The return of Christ is imminent. And instead of investing in heavenly things and anticipating the return of Jesus with joy, instead we are self-indulgently trying to accumulate all of these things. And like an animal is fattened up for the day of slaughter when it will be slaughtered so that the celebration can happen or so that the sacrifice could be made. The animal is fattened up for this purpose and then is slaughtered. He's saying, you are fattening yourselves up in your self-indulgence attitudes and preparing yourselves for the judgment, but not in the way that you think you should. That is, not in a good way you're not preparing. You're preparing yourselves for a judgment, and it's going to be a harsh judgment. It's going to be a slaughter. And you're fattening yourself up for that. 
He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You take advantage of people and they didn't even resist. Next week, we'll be talking about what to do when that's happening to you. But for this week, our purpose is to say, let's make sure that we are not doing this to others. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. As I read these words, I think of Jesus himself. That righteous person who did not resist, who though he had done nothing wrong, was condemned and died. And Jesus, the one who though he had all riches, made himself to be poor on our behalf. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says exactly that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus saw you in your spiritual poverty, and though he had all wealth, he gave it up so that he might become a man and identify with us in our weakness and give his life up with no resistance so that we might be made rich in him, so that we might be made eternally rich, so that the poor might be exalted in their poverty, and so that the rich might be humiliated in Christ, so that they can then be lifted up, raised up, exalted in Him. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you, we read in chapter 4, verse 10. We have this example of Christ that redeems us and brings us in so that we might have true joy and satisfaction in eternal wealth. And leaves for us also the example of what we ought to do with our material wealth. To use it to bless others so that they might not be in need and so that they also might rejoice in the riches that they have received in Christ. It is my hope for you this morning that your attitude will not be like that of a rich person. Whether you have many, many riches and wealth or whether you have little, that your attitude would not be like that of the rich, but would be humble like that of the poor, that you might receive the blessings of God through Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have blessed us richly in Christ. Lord, may we not be tempted by the things that we see in this world. May we not jealously covet the things that others have. May we not find our satisfaction in the things that we can purchase. But rather, may we be humble and generous with the things that you have blessed us with that we might meet the needs of others, that they too might rejoice in you. And may we invest eternally in things that last, 
that we will see you glorified in that day of judgment. And Father, we pray, would that day of judgment return? Would it come soon? That we might see you in your glory and rejoice in that which is truly glorious. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.